Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today's episode is Don't Let Them Go by Keith Daniel. So often husbands make grandiose declarations in the heat of the moment whereby they bind themselves to a destructive or vengeful course of action that inevitably results in shipwrecking their marriages. In this powerful sermon, Keith Daniel provides sage advice for husbands and wives to stick together through the toughest times. As always, He illustrates the biblical principles he preaches with stories drawn from people who serve as examples for us, both positive and negative. Whether you are married or thinking about getting married one day, this message, though simple, has the power to save you from inestimable misery and pain. I have two readings tonight in the Old Testament, both in the Old Testament. The first is this one verse in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 23 the second reading will be found in Malachi the last book in the Old Testament Malachi chapter 2 to those of you that have brought God's holy word with you 2 Samuel Chapter 23, verse 5. Although my house, although my house be not so with God, although my house be not so with God, yet, yet he hath made with me, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Although my house be not so with God. Yet He hath made with me an everlasting covenant. And then in Malachi chapter 2 from verse 14, the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. The Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant the wife of thy covenant And did not he make one? Did not he make a covenant? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. That word there, residue of the Spirit, is the same words used in the book of Daniel and also concerning David. He had an excellent Spirit. So excellent was the Spirit on David in his walk with God that Saul feared him just because of this spirit this excellent spirit 
so excellent was the spirit on Daniel from a boy that there was no man like him no man who had such an excellent spirit that staggered every generation from a king's down to his enemies and here this covenant was made when this man had an excellent spirit did he not make one God says yet had he the residue of the spirit wherefore one why did he make such a covenant that he might seek that he might seek that he might seek a godly seed a godly seed godly children from this union from this covenant this covenant before God when he had such an excellent spirit that he might bring forth godly children into this world therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth for the Lord the God of Israel saith that he hateth he hateth he hateth putting away he hateth divorce he hateth 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 divorce beloved in this world your first mission is your family if you are rightly related to God your first mission is your family and the title of this sermon tonight the title of this sermon tonight is don't let go of them don't let go of them can I share with you a strange secret here tonight most men who threaten who threaten to leave their wives and family don't want to most men who threaten to leave their wives and family don't want to but pride makes them unable to back down pride makes them unable to back down from radical irresponsible statements made in weak moments of despair most men who threaten to leave their wives and family don't want to but pride makes them unable to back down from radical irresponsible irrational statements made in weak moments of despair I knew a man who under great stress under great stress fought and argued with his wife continually he fought and argued with his wife continually even though they were Christians even though they were Christians and then one day one day he just despaired 
as this fighting just went on reaching proportion he never thought it could come to and he looked at his wife and he said I cannot go on another day I'm leaving you I don't care what this costs I'm leaving you forever and with tears pouring down his face and trembling he walked away from his family and in a few brief moments he had gathered some essential items so swiftly that it staggered his family how swiftly he just grabbed a few essential items and walked out of the door out of his home and then he went down to the car in the street and as he was opening the door of the car suddenly the front door of the home opened and his wife looked out at him and she called out wait wait for me I'm coming also so he was a bit staggered <laughs> and suddenly she had grabbed a few essentials so swiftly it was staggering <laughs> that she needed and she stood the other side of the car waiting to get in and he just looked at her and she said if you're leaving I'm leaving with you now he thought for a while and he says but that defeats the whole purpose of me leaving you can't come with me <laughs> I can't stand this any longer he says I, I can't live like this any longer so tears coming down her face she said I'm sorry I can't let you do that Amen. you see when I stood before God with you beside me and I vowed to God till death us do part for better or worse I meant that and I thought you did also and you and I may have great differences that we'll have to sort out and I'm willing for my side I'm willing to drastically change no matter what it costs me I'll change but I cannot let you leave me I'm sorry you're stuck with me till the day you die and he looked at her for a while and then suddenly he burst out laughing he really saw the funny side of this whole thing and she began to laugh also a little bit fearfully but she laughed also when she saw him laughing so loud he walked around the car he put his arm around her and they began to walk back to the house door and then he said something to her it was more staggering than what he what she said to him he said my dear for a moment there 
You had me worried that you wouldn't come out fast enough to stop me in time from leaving you. For a moment there, you had me worried that you wouldn't come out fast enough to stop me from leaving you. But oh how close it comes when a man makes a decision in a heated moment. How close it comes when a man makes a decision in a heated moment that could separate a family forever. Oh don't let go of them beloved. Don't let go of them beloved. I know of a man who's, who crumbled mentally, emotionally, because of the continual war between him and his wife that just wouldn't end, it escalated, and wore him mentally, emotionally, to the degree that he just crumbled emotionally one day. And in his despair, he looked at his wife and said loudly, but sobbing, he meant it. I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to divorce you. I'm not living like this any longer. I can't. I can't survive. And he took his suitcases and put them on the bed and began, while he was sobbing, trembling at what he was doing, he just threw his belongings as much as he could. He put his belongings into the suitcase. And his wife, his wife just looked, trembling, fearful, weeping, but she said nothing. She said nothing. And then he walked down the passage, still weeping, trembling, walked to the front door of his home, opened the door, and then he looked around, and he saw his two little boys standing in the kitchen, looking at the front door, looking at him, holding on to each other, weeping, with fear in their eyes. Their daddy is walking away from them. And as he looked at those boys holding on to each other, weeping like that with such fear in their eyes, he put his bags down and still weeping, he walked to these boys and he said, My boys, it's better that daddy goes. For you, you can't live like this. And daddy and mommy can't survive. Daddy can't survive. You're going to be, have to be brave, my boys. But I have to divorce your mother. I want you to stay with your mother because I'm going to leave the home here for you and mommy. And daddy will work 
that he will provide for you till the day that he dies. That he will keep Solita back for himself just to survive. But I will give you most of what I earn till the day I die to provide for you, my boys. And daddy will come whenever he can. Whenever they will let me, I will be waiting for you to see you whenever I'm able to for the rest of my life. And then he said to his eldest boy, Will you be okay, my boy? And his eldest boy said, I think so, Daddy. I hope so, Daddy. And then he looked at his youngest little boy and said, You will be, you will be okay, won't you, my boy? And his youngest boy looked up and he said words that seemed to rip his heart and soul to say that no death I won't be okay I need you and I need mum together and if you don't stay together daddy I, I won't survive I won't survive and then his little boy crumbled onto the ground and he groaned with such groans that his father crumbled onto the ground and his brother crumbled over his little brother holding him and the mother crumbled in the passage onto the ground at the agony of that child. That father went and picked up his suitcases, walked back to the bedroom, and began to unpack his clothes, and the mother came and stood next to him. And he looked up at her, and he said, You and I are going to have to make great sacrifices. We're going to have to make great sacrifices to work things out for their sake but I cannot do this to them I cannot leave them well that man never left his wife till the day he died as an old man and the Lord Jesus this amazing saviour of love saved that home a few years later and worked healing and forgiveness and love that is beyond comprehension in that man and woman and the children that only Christ can ultimately do. But this is the staggering thing, beloved. This is the staggering thing. Healing began in that marriage, in that home, not when Christ saved them as a family. Oh no. True healing began in that marriage 
and in that home when that man realized his family could not survive without him true healing began when he realized that his family wouldn't survive without him and that his conscience wouldn't survive if he left them knowing that most people that left their family didn't want to leave but pride stopped them from admitting it and most people that watched their loved one go didn't want them to go but pride stopped them from preventing them going and they forever look back in sorrow and continual grief that they did most men who threaten to leave their wives and family don't want to but pride pride makes them unable to back down from radical irresponsible irrational irreversible statements they made in weak tired moments of despair I knew a Christian family years ago that was so exemplary it's hard to be able to relate this whole story to you this man had the most beautiful wife her beauty was in her purity she was so refined so refined into Christ likeness that she commanded the respect that most Christian women will never find she was so beautiful in her character and the refinement of God the Holy Spirit in her Christ likeness and her gentleness but she was a beautiful woman they had two sons two fine sons that excelled above all other youth they stood out as examples to the believers though they were teenage boys academically at school they didn't have homeschooling in Africa like we have it now suddenly taking over because America's proved it but in the schools traditional British colonial schools that are among the best in the world these boys excelled to such a degree no one could come near them academically the eldest one was just the achiever of the school his younger brother was fast on his heels he was just blossoming these two just blossomed in life fine fine boys fine family but then one day that father walked out of the door forever from that family oh the devil is powerful that he could do that I heard of the devastation that came in that home but I had no idea to what degree that devastation really was there until one day I was walking a few weeks after this news spread that this man deserted his wife and family I saw his teenage boy sitting in the gutter along the side of the street you don't do that in my country unless you've hit rock bottom in life no one would sit in the gutter and as I realized who this was slouched over in the gutter his head down I couldn't believe what I was seeing and I walked in a circle until I sat beside him and he looked up I was stunned how a teenage boy could age 
in three weeks as that boy had aged his eyes were so swollen he could hardly look through them he was a wreck he was such a wreck I trembled I trembled and I said to him listen carefully your daddy made, made a terrible mistake but because of your father's mistake that does not mean that you must wreck your life if your father makes such a terrible mistake as he has it is not reason enough for you to let this destroy your life you are an achiever you can get up and you can go on and his little lips just quivering his eyes hardly able to look out the tears just pouring out down his face he said sir when my father walked away from us as a family for that young woman something died something died forever inside of me and he hung his head down and sobbed so violently that I didn't quite know what to do after a long while I had to leave him in the gutter just sobbing I couldn't sit any longer a short while after that he was dead in tragic circumstances that I cannot relate from this pulpit. A short while after that his brother was dead in equally tragic circumstances. And a few months later the mother was dead. I won't be able to begin to tell you why. You don't need sickness to die. Years later only once I saw that man since that occasion and I could not believe what was left of a human I couldn't believe what was left of that human and he said these words to me I knew when I walked out of that door that night I knew I was destroying my whole family forever but brother I still walked out knowing that knowing that I cannot tell you the way this man said these words oh that I could undo the wrong I've done oh that I could undo the wrong I've done. I can't tell you. I haven't got the ability emotionally to tell you how he died. When I was first married, my wife and I were in Cape Town a very large city of many millions of people and one Sunday night we decided to go and hear a certain preacher of great repute 
but we couldn't find the church and so eventually when we looked at the time I said well we are so late now there's no point looking on let's just go in this church it's a very evangelical country probably the most evangelical in the world apart from Ireland and parts of America and so we packed the car we went inside the service was probably halfway through halfway through the sermon this minister was preaching and the strange thing is as we sat down he stopped preaching and he looked carefully at me and he looked long at me and Jenny and then when he continued I was so astounded at this man's ability with the word of God I thought to myself where has this man been that I've never heard of him I don't think I'd ever heard anyone preach like that in my life if I have God forgive me that I don't remember recalling the amazing ability with which he spoke I was so staggered I literally trembled who is this man why is it I've never heard of him toward the end of the sermon suddenly he he stopped and he looked at me again and then tears welled up in his eyes and he said these words that I'll never forget young man don't ever run away from your responsibilities in life no matter how many problems you face face them with your responsibilities intact because if you leave your responsibilities and think you can find less stress an easier road you're wrong you leave the responsibilities that are yours in life and your conscience will drive you to despair for the rest of your life you will live in torment and he said these words your life will be close to hell on earth in the end and the tears were pouring down his face when he said those words looking at me I'm almost 100% sure it was no one else his eyes were gazing at and he put his head down into the Bible and sobbed like a baby in the pulpit no one knew what to do Jenny and I eventually left without anyone else stirring we just got up and walked out I got home I decided to find out who this man was I phoned around asking different people no one knew eventually I got hold of older Christians one very old godly man a household name throughout southern Africa I told him about this man and his name and he said oh brother Keith is that where he is he said brother when that man was a young man like you are he was set to become the next Andrew Murray of South Africa no one has ever had that said of him before him or since the church was bracing itself throughout the land 
for what God was going to do through this amazingly anointed, gifted speaker. But then he walked away from his wife and his children and took hold of a young woman in the same church, divorcing his family and embracing another woman. And of course the church buried him forever. Until now, I'm amazed any pulpit allowed him. No one ever heard of him since then, Keith. No one. No one knows of him. This staggers me that someone has found him again. It staggers me, my boy, that he's even allowed in the pulpit after what he did. Oh, beloved, your family, your family is your greatest mission on earth. Don't let go of them. Don't let go of your children, beloved. Don't let go of your children. Eli, Eli let his sons go. Eli let his sons go as they rebelled and became wicked. He gave up. He gave up all hope of them ever being reached by God in truth because of their rebellious and wicked ways. But the same of it is that God blamed him. God blamed him for their tragic end. 1 Samuel 3 verse 13 says, Because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. He restrained them not. He didn't make a strong stand against their living wrongly. He didn't challenge the wrong they did until it was too late to redeem them. There is a book in the Bible, Proverbs. I've memorized it. I so loved it, it had such a profound effect on me. And I take it as a sermon at times as God leads me and just take the train of thought on different aspects throughout that whole, just one thought linked to the other right across to the end, whether it's concerning a wife or a child or a son or a father or a family. The wealth a man has is not measured by what he has in finances. God says he's in poverty. The only wealth a man has that can bring him any happiness is a family. <laughs> a godly wife, godly children, and if he's a man of God that made them thus. But if you were to take this book of Proverbs out of the Bible and you were to print it as a unique book published, just as a book all on its own, a single document, and you were to title it and put on the cover a title, there's only one title you can give it. Your family is your greatest mission on earth. Don't let go of them. Amen. What does God mean by that? Oh, listen. What it means to let go of your responsibility concerning a child. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod, he that spareth his rod, hateth hateth his son. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. There's times you have to get the message through, Father, this stops. And if you don't, no one else is going to, Father. You hate him, God says. You're his worst enemy he'll ever know on earth. 
There's times you as a father before God and by God's responsibility to his soul must get the message through. This stops now. This is going to stop. He that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. 19 verse 18 Chasten thy son while there is hope. Isn't that staggering? God says that. Let not thy soul spare for his crying. 22.15 Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. That's a promise from God. God promises this. No matter what the governments of this world say. 23.13 Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. You think it's a sermon your son needs? No, he just needs a father. A father that is in touch with God. That believes God. That fears no man but God. Thou wilt deliver his soul from hell. But you're waiting for a good preacher or good sermon to come along. Sir, he's going to go to hell if you don't reach him. Many times children don't need and won't heed to any sermon. But they will to a father that loves them enough. Chasten them until they know this stops. Out of love for you, my responsibility before God. Because you are my first mission in earth. Twenty-nine, fifteen. the rod of reproof gives wisdom but a child left to himself a child left to himself Eli Eli was godly by the by but godly people can make grave mistakes a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame Moody makes much of that verse in the way to God probably the greatest book ever written on God's love you have to be the hardest human on earth if you don't weep through that book. A mother. A father comes to shame far sooner than a mother. Moody will give you the reasons why, how even a murderer a mother will sit with as he's about to be hanged and still show him love. But a father, long before that, will withdraw in shame. But eventually... It's possible mothers can come to. This word literally means forsake in the shame. It's a, it's, it's a beyond healing shame. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest, God says. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. I could go on. God is not speaking here of a big rod hanging behind the door. If you point to each time a child does something wrong or walk around after the child if he does anything out of place, his rod, oh no, God's not even speaking about a physical rod, although that's literally the meaning in the Hebrew. But if you read this book as it should be read, and that is in the light of all scriptures, and if there's no verse concerning the same doctrine that contradicts your interpretation of that verse, then you have the right interpretation. Otherwise, you're in heresy. That's why you have to own all this book. You have to devour it as a source of life you have to be balanced and the only balanced way is not to be like a Jehovah Witness that can quote a verse 
but heaven help you heaven help him if you quote the next verse it undoes what he says you have to take this book in the light of all scriptures and if there's no scripture concerning that doctrine that subject that topic that in any way disagrees or contradicts it then you have the right interpretation and that's why we have to be balanced on fire but balanced be on fire and don't be balanced you'll do the devil's work with your fire in your own home it always begins in the home you know any extremity on any doctrine and you can find any doctrine you can go to extremity if you're willing to blind your eyes to the rest of the, rest of the Bible but brother, sister don't break his spirit God warns ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath you can you know you can make them so angry against God and man that they'll hate Christianity through your, through your discipline. Discipline isn't going to be the one means by which a child... You can send him to hell through your discipline if you're not utterly Christ-like. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know what that literally means? Let God bring them up through you. Why? Because you are so yielded that the Holy Spirit is in the fruit of the Spirit, the wisdom of God, Christ-likeness. Take that out of a father's discipline and you've got a monster with a rod and scriptures behind him. Oh, no, no. Don't hide behind these scriptures that you lose control, Father. And you're unchrist like this, you just lose control of life and you stand and say, This gives me the right, you know, and you take out all your all your stress and your sin, your failings come out taking them in. You'll drive him to hell, disciplining him. I know a man who stood in front of me with his little child and said, When I beat him, he knows he stops. I don't play the fool. I beat him until he tries to crawl up the wall with his nails, then I stop. The next day, the child committed suicide. You see, that father had lost all of it. They didn't have to jail him. He jailed himself. He became like a cabbage mentally as his conscience has destroyed him for doing that to his boy, to his sin. That's sin. One child, sir, needs a look. One look. That's all that child needs. You know it. Conscience tells you he doesn't need a rod. The whole message here is the, the discipline that has to get through where a child needs it. But some children don't need to be beaten. If they, he just needs a look. That little girl needs just a look and she's more wounded at hurting you, more mortified, more hurting that she's in any way. You don't have to beat her. Just that look is all. Another child needs a good spanking until they get the message, you know, in the same home. But you don't go beating a child that just looks a look, just needs a look. Otherwise, you're sinning. You're sinning. Sir, you're... If your discipline doesn't hurt you more than it hurts the child, you're sinning. I'm not talking about the pain in the hand. I'm talking about the heart. You see, if that child doesn't know this grief, this hurt is more in your heart than in your hand. They won't love you for discipline. They don't sense the grief, the hurt. 
that's making you resort to this and the love you drive her to hell sir don't hide behind scriptures unless you're Christ like the devil uses scriptures too you know even when he faced God let alone you you give him up of a chance to tell you right from he right through to Jesus right through to angels that come as angels of light the scripture just forget the rest of the scriptures though you're in trouble I would say forget 90% of the rest of the scriptures that cry out vital reality with God is all that matters and the only reason you can have the right to use any scripture at all ever in your life is vital reality with God oh it's the idea of discipline that has to get through in our country we had a man called Pastor Duma D-U-M-A a black man, a Zulu man a Baptist minister, he was so loved in our country, seldom has a preacher ever been this loved as our pastor Juma was by the throngs of Christians of all denominations, loved him for what he was, he was godly, he was Christ-like he was so humble, but what this man so staggered the world with, there's a book on his life that spread throughout southern Africa seldom among perhaps Andrew Murray's books, I would say the only ones that you could just but this man's life so re was so revered because of his life that most homes have it just as an accepted item in the home our Pastor Juma the great thing about Pastor Juma was no single man in the history of South Africa was ever so honored by God in the healing of people as when this man would pray for Christ in mercy for God in Jesus Christ's name to heal sick dying people 80% of the thousands and thousands he was just dragged around the land to deathbeds to cancers to hospitals intensive care this man was just dragged in 80% of every single time he prayed they were healed that moment he healed totally so that even in hospitals doctors specialists nurses would fall down on their knees and give their life to Christ and sir some people can exaggerate let's face it but you don't exaggerate about Pastor Juma. The half hasn't been told that our country will tell you. I have been in so many homes of people who were dying or crippled for life or like cabbages, some of them. They were so unable to even dress themselves or eat. And that man prayed and God healed the moment. Oh, thank God for Pastor Juma. He never used to raise his voice, you know. He was such a gentle man. I do believe the more Christ-like we become, the more of a gentle man we are. Being a Christian does not give you license to offend. Sir, lady, if your harshest word does not throb with love, you are nowhere near walking with God in truth. In any circumstance of your life to any sinner you may be faced with, or any circumstance, you may feel you have the right to have an ungentlemanly spirit. You're in trouble with God the day you forget that. More than you are with man.
Pastor Juma would walk in in humility and he would say with a gentle soft voice he never screamed when he prayed Father we have no right we cannot demand anything of thee but if it be in thy will if it be in thy will to spare this man for his family and for thyself for thy service then wilt thou not in accordance to the scriptures as we bring and by faith place oil anointing him with oil and praying wilt thou not raise up this thy child and heal God not my will not our will but thine be done he would say gently in Jesus Christ's name and literally thousands God healed at that moment totally not over days totally even dying people that is a wonderful testimony that South Africa still hasn't recovered from no wonder he was loved the way he was loved Pastor Juma was preaching when I was a young convert and I remember sensing the humility of this man spoke louder than anything else he said from that pulpit oh he was so broken in spirit from the pulpit that's in the school of God it does that you know if you're in God's school if you pass the exams that is but this godly man I'll never forget one of the illustrations he used concerning bringing up children he said my son is eight, was 19 years old 19 years old and my son though he was brought up in a God fearing home with parents that prayed for him every day since he was born to follow God he chose of his own free will to follow Satan he chose to follow the devil he chose to go to the devil's people to make friends rather than godly young friends who wanted his friendship he of his own personal choice chose evil boys he chose to go to the devil's places rather than to be in the house of God and he broke our hearts he broke us he aged us he was in drugs he was in drink he was he would come home in profanity and blasphemy and screaming and he beat his mother in his drunkenness he would beat not when I was home but I would find my wife beaten up by our son in his drunken stupor oh he aged and then he came home and I had to decide what to do what can I do now God I took him as he started his swearing and his aggressiveness and I pushed him and I pushed him and I pushed him out of the door get out get out get out of our home get out no daddy please daddy no daddy my wife took hold of me and said we're Christians we don't throw them out on the street you can't you're a preacher you lose every bit of respect we don't throw them out we have to win him you don't throw him away he said no woman you're wrong you're wrong and he said, I wept loud as I said to my son as he stood outside the door, you will never come into this home till the day you die, my son. 
again. You will never have another meal. You will never have a piece of bread, even if you starve, my son. You will never, ever have a place to sleep that is not your bed again in your life, my son. You have no room. Unless you come to this door and say from your heart, Father, every friend I have on earth, I have thrown them out forever, and they will never be my friends again. I stop with my friends, I stop drink, I stop drugs, I stop swearing, I stop blaspheming, I stop. And Father, I will not come through this door unless you get down on your knees with me now and ask Christ to save my soul, not from hell, my boy, but from sin. To save me from a life of sin. When you come to this door, that is the first time I will ever listen to you again. Otherwise, I don't want you to come to this door till the day you die, if you can't come like that. And then I shut the door, and then I went to my face, and I sobbed through the whole night, groaning and weeping to God in agony. I don't remember. I wish I could remember. I was a young convert 38 years ago when I heard this man speaking. I don't know how long it was. So I won't say, but he said one night. There was a knock on the door. It was late, but it was my son. And he said, Father, I have ripped myself away from every friend I have on earth. I will never go near them. They will never come back to me the way I have separated from them. I've given up every friend I've got in this world, Father. And Father, I'm sick. I hate sin. I want to give up drink. I want to give up drugs, swearing. And all it leads me to do that I don't even know I'm doing under the influence of it. Father, I will not come in this house unless Father lets me, unless Father is convinced that God has done this. I want to get on my knees now and want Daddy to pray for me that God saves my soul from hell. And more than that, that God saves my life from a life of sin. I knelt with my son, he said. I sobbed with my arms around him. And God saved his soul. Mightily. That man, Pastor Juma, has been dead for many years, but his son never backslid. He never touched drink, drugs, swearing. He never went back to his friends again. He became a preacher. He's a preacher to this day that loved. Not as much as his father, but hallelujah. <laughs> He's still serving Christ. He was saved. Don't judge Pastor Juma for what he did, beloved. Judge Eli. Judge Eli. God did. God. God did. Don't judge a man who did what his mind, his conscience, his common sense and his faith in God's word told him he has to resort to do. Don't let go of them doesn't mean don't push them out of the door. Don't give up on their souls. Don't give up on them, Eli, if they become wicked and evil. Don't give up on God reaching them. Don't give up on them turning, repenting and bringing joy to your heart and the mother's heart. 
Don't give up on God's promises that tell you how to do that. Don't give up on your children, beloved. No matter what happens to them, don't ever let go of them. That can mean what God in your conscience tells you, which you happen to be 100 miles ahead of any unsaved person because you have the Holy Spirit controlling your conscience, if you're right with God, that is. I know of a family that shook my heart when this lovely lady, oh, the beauty of this woman, to know I'm not speaking superficially, I wish she could just stand here for one moment and look at you, that's all. You would weep. This woman had a little boy, and this little boy was molested by some wicked evil person he was very very small we didn't have homeschooling Christians had to send and this child was given into the trust of other people who took to some school fate on occasion or something where they raised money and it was all activities of the children so while she was home this is the staggering thing of a woman like this woman while she was home she suddenly stood up and began to groan and groan and sob with such grief. And she said to me, Brother Keith, it was as if someone had died in my home. One of my children had died. The grief that flooded my heart. My husband took hold of me and thought I was going insane and put his arms and what am I going to do? She said, listen carefully. Something's happening to our son right now. And she began to pace up and down the floor. And he after and says, what do you mean? She began to plead the blood of Christ over her son. Whatever was happening, God, whatever the devil was doing, stop him, stop him, God. That little boy was dropped off by these people and trusted. And walked to the front door. Knocked. The mother opened and looked at him and burst out sobbing and screamed. What? happened to you tonight he's now this size he looked at me in the eyes and said brother Keith when my mother said those words to me I knew for the first time how real God is my mother knew and I was miles and she was in torment I said to her you know what that was what happened we know not what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit is, capital S, within us. When we're right with God, that is. Can't happen when we're not. When He's in control, He yielded life, you see. He teaches us, He leads us to pray as we are, with groanings that cannot be uttered. That's not tongues. That's obnoxious to say that's tongues no God's grief was so great and who does he find in touch with him enough a mother to be able to express his grief in prayer somehow God reacts and guides and leads in the war between God and Satan for men's soul even for little ten year old children when Satan would have them it's prayer God drives people to and somehow Moody says who can pray like a mother no he didn't who can pray like a godly mother for a wayward child
that boy went into a life of such torment that he became suicidal you can't believe the state of his arms and body as the guilt riddled with guilt the shame the confusion because he even blamed himself but somehow that man was put in prison he's still in prison to this day but it opened a lifestyle he tasted something that opened up a life a perverse lifestyle that he couldn't rub himself of he didn't understand a lifestyle he would never ever have chosen but the torment the confusion the self-accusation the self-aberration that boy was just a suicidal case in torment of conscience as he was to come home to a godly mother through his teenage years he said brother Keith when I walked out I never once enjoyed my sin do you know why? because I knew my mother would not get up from her knees until I walked in the door back from my sin then she got up from bowing before God praying for me oh that boy was so confused so tormented so much help on every level of life trying to be given to him from all the advice of people but it just confused him more and eventually he became so suicidal that they didn't know how to face him walking out of the door for fear he wouldn't come back home because he hated every step he took in a sin somehow when you taste oh touch not taste not handle not once you do oh don't touch sin young people but it was forced on this boy and oh the judgment of a man bit of a millstone if you cause one of these little ones to stumble the judgment coming is unbelievable when it's forced on a child it wasn't just the child's choice and now he's tasted the devil what you've tasted can always make you want again you don't even know why that's why all these things like the internet are such a danger unless you've got such control on it brother throw it out now or you'll damn your son if you don't think they'll find it the devil will make sure they stumble and are just feeding in innocent words I guarantee you be careful where they go what they look at God then you can't put them in a fortress today but I tell you something your prayers and your watch over them has to be like a virtual fortress as you guide them through this world and say stay away from there stay away from that because once they taste you'll go through torment father and mother take my advice for you remember these words and you will sob soon if you don't sir he said to his mother shortly after meeting me and saying these words to me Mr. Daniel all I want to ask you is to pray for me and walked away well his mother said listen I can see how little hope there is here and I'm so scared for you but my boy I've been fasting also for the last week there's a little lady a little old woman down in the Dutch Reformed Church 
that they attend the Dutch Reformed Church with Andrew Murray's church. It's the largest denomination in Southern Africa because of the revival that swept through his ministry. It's in every town, the largest churches all over. And she said, this little old lady, something about her that whenever families face crisis and disaster, that little lady goes and she fasts and she prays and I don't know a family that hasn't shared with me that whenever that little lady prays for you, God heals the home. God heals the life. Can I bring that little old woman here? They did. She sold. They had to help her up the steps. Amazing how God can only find someone that age. And the lady listened to his story, listened to the mother and said, I can't pray for you. I need to fast. I need to seek God. I don't know how long she fasted. I don't, want, I don't know what the fast entails, so I don't want to put you in bondage about what fasting means. But that woman fasted, it seems, for three weeks from what I can gather. What it meant, I don't know. Then she came to the door and she said, I'm ready to pray for you now, my boy. She said to the mother, Go on your knees and just cry out to God to save his soul. She said to the boy, get on your knees, boy. And she got on her knees, this frail little soul, against the bed in his room. And she said, just ask God to set you free from Satan. From the stronghold Satan has in your life, so that he can save you. And I'll be praying for you. He said, while that woman was just calling on God in her frailty, and in great reverence, he said, I saw a darkness leaving me, sir. It was like a physical form. I couldn't believe my eyes. I got so scared, I began to holler. And she turned to me and said, don't be afraid. I see it also. Don't worry. Just keep praying, asking God to deliver you now, so you can be saved. And eventually, he told me, he got on his knees beside this woman and he said, for the first time, sir, I can remember praying through to God. I couldn't get through to God since I was ten. I don't even remember ever being able to honestly pray through that. I thought God could hear me. I suddenly knew God was listening and I cried out for the blood of Christ to save my soul from hell and my life from sin. That boy has become godly. Not just delivered. You want to see his countenance, sir? And don't sit there unbelieving. The unbelieving go to hell. He believed. Don't you be unbelieving that will last. Hallelujah. God set him free. He needs prayer, but I'm praying. So is his mother. The great thing about this, the great thing about this is, there was a mother that would not let God go one day from the age of 10 to 24. That cried that would not let God go. That would not give in. Would not give up. Would not let go of that soul, of that son. It has to come to Christ. No matter what the devil's done. And it took years, but she would not give up. Hallelujah for a mother who will do that. Don't let go. Don't give up on anything. No matter what's happened, don't give up. Don't give up on them. Prayer in faith is our greatest weapon. Prayer in faith is our greatest weapon. The weapons of our warfare, beloved. And we're in war for our children. We're in war for an unsaved husband, for an unsaved father, for unsaved brothers and sisters. 
for children that have been crippled from the age of 10 in their millions because of the defilement, because of the moral codes ripped aside by governments for money and fear of man and encouraging freedom of speech so that pornography can be thrown at people from every angle in music and books and films in anything the media's got. What they jailed people 30 years ago today you'll be jailed for saying what I'm saying about them. The world so lost its decency and its moral code and protection. We have prayer. Hallelujah. Amen. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not human-made weapons, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I don't care what stronghold the devil has on your son, on your husband. You pray. You don't let go, mother. You don't let go, father. You don't let go of your father, son. If he's going off with a woman, you, you don't give up. Don't let go. Pray. Oh, beloved, I used to think when people were brought and smashed lies, smashed from sin, I used to think they needed counseling, but God shook me. He shook me in the school of God because I was wasting time. They'd heard everything. They just needed someone to pray in faith. They had no faith that God could save them. They had no faith that they could ever change in themselves. They had no faith in themselves or in God being able to. But they needed and God brought them and I became conscious. Oh, God's brought this soul. Oh, God's brought this family to this door. Oh, God's brought me to this home for... Is it someone who has faith can pray for them? Because they can't pray in faith themselves. And 80%, I would say, and God forgive me if I'm making a mistake now, I would say 80% of every single soul I've ever prayed for and never counseled, haven't said a word, just said, let me pray, has somehow contacted me over the years, whether they've come up on the malls or come up on the street or phoned or written and said, sir, from the time of that prayer, everything turned and is healed. That's prayer. Oh, this weapon God gives us for our loved ones. Oh, beloved, I wish I had the courage to tell you all these things but I'm scared you won't come back tomorrow why is it I have such an enemy called time how do you abbreviate two brothers rebels teenagers the elder saw to rebel the younger just followed him because the godless father so they follow the godless father's ways and not the God fearing mother and they went into such sin the mother didn't know they were dead or alive but now these boys go into anything and they go to a rave concert You've got to be not mentally retarded to go to a rave concert, but you've got to be saying goodbye to any form of decency left that your conscience can give you if you stoop to that. Take me to jail if you must, sir, but find me one rave concert where they didn't find depravity, drugs that kill. Find me... I would say under 80% of rape concerts where children, small, weren't taking LSD and the worst drugs imaginable that people die not in their hundreds but their thousands in rape concerts. How we're so weak as governments that we haven't stopped it, I don't know. We know it, but we don't stop it. Oh, the lights flashing, you know, and the music. Oh, just look at the music covers to tell me that they're not Satanists. Just look at the covers before you argue, sir. And you want that music? You want that? Oh, just saying, I'm uninhibited, I'm going. Anything goes. You know drugs. You know the worst. You know the drugs that kill. You know filth. You know depravity. Even if you're small, you know it's gonna, it can happen. 
and police are scared. They use the word scared of what happens because they can't control it. These two boys went to some multiple thing out in the hills where it wasn't even advertising it was word of mouth where I think about a hundred thousand came in our home in the big valley where they had a few of these wayward bands all over with their great big amplifiers and not just little spotlights you know but floodlights it was so numbing to the mind that's what it's intending to do by the way taking down any form of resistance you have and you know it anything goes and that's when you march into it knowing that how can you stoop to that can you throw away the gift of life if you only have one chance in eternity how can you do that young people why when you know they die there if not physically morally mentally these boys were so shaken when they saw satanic manifestations you want to go to the devil's territory young people expect the devil's worst they couldn't believe what they suddenly saw they knew the difference between God and the devil they knew Christ and Satan they knew from their mother and they saw literal manifestations of the physical bodies of people so satanic that they went berserk in fear as they saw they hadn't touched drugs thank God and they knew they were seeing literally well you want to play the fool with the devil don't be surprised what he does eventually. Go to his territory. You're in trouble. And these boys turned screaming in fear as they just saw bodies and things happening to the degree that they couldn't believe morally what was going on. They ran. The youngest one running, screaming. The oldest one who always led his brother ran after his brother away. Thank God. They went down to a little room that they had somehow quieted down the valley around. So they didn't wait for the car. They went running all the way back. Eventually, when the elder one got to the room, he finds his young brother under the bed, screaming, Mommy, isn't that lovely? Mommy, pray for us. Screaming. Well, the mother had prayed for three days. She had fasted. And that day, she spent the day weeping for some reason groaning and she hadn't seen them for months isn't it amazing how God gets hold of a mother here she's groaning in war and this elder brother got his younger brother from out of the bed under the bed and says let's give our lives to Christ now we're finished with this they gave their lives to God that night you want to see them now you want to see these boys' faces, they're a bit more grown up now. You want to see the godliness, how God can undo the scars of sin so fast. And the integrity and the amazing respect they have of a mother that told them how she was groaning to God when they finally got on their knees and cried out, save our souls from hell. Oh, a mother praying, hallelujah. And this boy, oh my, what he did, but how his father wouldn't let go when he was supposed to be put in a mental asylum, but all he was was demon-possessed because of the places he had been in the movies, the Stephen King movies. While he was professing to know Christ, but he found that afterwards as he was possessed and tried to kill his father, never shown any aggressiveness, but in the movie, this dark, form came he ran down the street screaming 
God on his knees. Daddy tells him what he's done. He's been to these, he's been listening to the satanic music. Always these wizardry poems, you know, and books opening the way to occultism. Do you honestly think we aren't going to see one terrible fright at the fruit we're allowing when it comes through the seeds we've allowed in what we call children's stories? There's no such a thing as a wizard, a good wizard, or a bad wizard in Hollywood's films. It's damned by God. How do we stand up as Christians and say it's innocent? Stay away from wizardry, anything. Books, don't put it next to your Bible, even if a professing Christian wrote it. And how this boy, when his father began to plead the blood, got up and kicked his father and throttled him and nearly killed him. He nearly died until somehow... And then how his father, instead of putting him in an asylum, which was suggested, fasted for three weeks, calling on God, bleeding the blood on his face. And that boy came through to God and was released. Hallelujah. The lovely part... Brother Jay, oh, I wish I had had time to tell you the whole story. As he sat in front of me telling me, he said, Mr. Daniel, my daddy and mommy walked out one night and suddenly fear came back. This dark, cold fear. And I ran. God help me, daddy's not here to pray. How can this be happening? I thought I was free. Little knock at the door. Amazing. Just in time. Who was it? Little old lady. <laughs> Thank God for the old ladies who God can still use. But the young people don't know what they know. And he said, look, mommy and daddy have gone. I don't know if you heard what happened. I was demon possessed. I tried to kill my daddy. I've been playing with sin, but God set me free. And now, I thought I was free, but tonight this terrible darkness, this terrible coldness and fears just taking it's like everywhere oh just suddenly and daddy's not here what do I do this little old lady just took his hand and said come with me and sat him down and pulled out two hymn books at the piano and she said turn to such a hymn oh to the old hymns of the faith hallelujah and she said sing he looked at her and said sing sing and she started singing with a little weak voice, you know, and he sang in the end. But he said, Brother Keith, I never knew the power of God in these hymns until that night. He said, those doctrine, the words, before the last verse, I was so filled with joy and faith, it lifted my whole being up. And we sat there singing until Daddy and Mommy came home late. And he says, you know what I did through the years now? The last two years, he says, three years, I think he's been saying, he says, Brother, whenever any fear comes, I just pick up the hymn book and I start singing the old hymns of the faith. And faith floods my heart. And peace. Oh my, the babies are so desperate, they're saying, Why doesn't this man stop? <laughs> what will it take to stop him? <laughs> Isn't that terrible? One day there'll be great preachers, though. <laughs> But it's a terrible thing when a man won't stop. So tell you, baby, I won't stop. <laughs> I have to tell you this. This young boy came. Well, his father phoned me and says, 
this boy was brought up in this guy he was one of the great preachers in our country I didn't give his name and he said my son said to me daddy you made me go to church since a little baby you forced everything I sat through these meetings and I've hated it and I want Satan I'm going to serve the devil I'm getting out of this home and I don't want your God and he phoned weeping he said brother Keith we were talking and he has never sat still in a meeting he's always looking at his watch and clicking his tongue and disturbing everybody but we noticed he sat still through your sermon it's the only time it ever happened and we were wondering if you wouldn't perhaps go and speak to him maybe he'll listen to you we're just weeping we're weeping brother I went to see the boy at his workplace and they led me into his office and when he saw me he just got up and started screaming did my father send you here I said yes and he shouted get out and he started running for me get out pushing me swearing some of the people in the office started crying shocked they hadn't seen that side of him and eventually as he's pushing me out the door stopped on my foot I didn't mean it to it was really sore but it couldn't close so eventually he sees it's my foot and so he left it open for a moment and I said to him you may be able to stop me from speaking to you about God but you cannot stop me from speaking to God about you and he just looked at me and I said listen carefully till the day I die if need be every day remember this is a man praying for you that you will never find happiness in sin not one day of your life you will sit in misery your whole life will crumble into a mess every day all friendships formed every place that you never ever know anything but disaster every day as you go to sin until you come to Christ and find peace I'm going to pray daily you just go through terrible torment and nothing will ever give you happiness in any sin you ever try again in life I'll be praying remember every day well three years went by it takes time I was washing my face in some washroom at some big convention center and this man grabs hold of me I turned around he says do you remember me I said yes <laughs> He says, I heard you were going to be preaching down here. I came across the whole country to tell you this. You can stop praying. I'm saved. Amen. Ah. So, he says, I've gone back to daddy and mommy. I've given my life to Christ with all my heart and I've really found Christ as my Savior. He said, but I want to tell you something, brother. When you said those words to me, you so shook me. You shook me. I trembled at what you said every single night from that night through the years there wasn't one night that I didn't sit my whole life devoured in total chaos and wreck any friendships anything I tried just total devastation I just sat in misery at the end of each day and said is that Keith Daniel praying for me <laughs> oh <laughs> but now I don't want you to pray anymore for me to be saved just that God will keep me from ever going back Hallelujah. He became a preacher. He's a missionary now. He has been for 30 something years. And he loves God and he's won many multitudes of people to Christ. His daddy's dead. George Mueller. When he died, and who could pray like George Mueller? Wow. Take the millions he found God giving him in those days and multiply that by one million to know how much money God gave him for the orphanages. 
No man, no single man ever prayed so much money from God in its value as George Mueller. He was an amazing man of God. But he was frail and he was all. And in his frailty he couldn't do much more preaching, much more work. So he, what did he do? Sit down and say, I'm just going to waste myself. And no, he did the one thing God had brought him to university level with. He prayed. When he died, finally after a long, long time of frailty, long, long deathbed, this man's Bible was taken and they found pages all strewn through it. Not one, many pages with scores of names written small all down back in front of the... And they found that a great amount of the names had a date and a mark. And they checked and they found that that date was the date that person was saved. All these names, all these pages throughout his Bible. That was when they were saved. He's praying for all these people to be saved. But most of the names on these lists were not saved when he died. They had no mark, no date. He prayed for them, this great warrior that is acknowledged, I think, by Moody as the greatest prayer warrior the world ever knew. Not praying Hyde, not Reese Howell's intercessor, not Hudson Taylor, George Mueller. I don't disagree with Moody there. He died, and God didn't answer his prayers. Three years later, two missionaries from America passing through Plymouth, those days you don't fly to Africa, on the road to the mission field, they found themselves there in his home, in his study, looking at his notes, all awestruck in Bristol. And eventually in his room they see the Bible. George Mueller's Bible, they looked at the pages, it was explained to them. He was praying for all these people from all over the British Commonwealth, the Empire. All the names, people just streaming from across the world asking, pray for my son, pray for my husband, pray for this. He was praying. And he died. And all those that didn't have a date, well, they were not saved when this survey was made of these lists. These two American missionary men decided not to go straight up to Africa they decided to stay there for a while and for long they stayed they said could we have these pages they did they made a research it took them longer than they thought they kept prolonging their departure they took this from God and they found when they'd come to every single last name every single name was saved hallelujah mother you may die and your son's still serving the devil but die in faith praying don't let go of them don't let go don't give up keep on asking Elisha didn't give up when he prayed after three years and six months and I asked God again but nothing came what does he do oh I've lost the ability to pray now no he prays on is there anything nothing no he prays on he would still be praying on today and then of course when there was a little glimpse he just ran Hallelujah. He knew. But he didn't give up. Keep on asking. And it shall be given you. Literally. Keep on. Don't just ask once and then get staggered because it didn't get answered. When you're dealing with a soul, God doesn't press a button and say, boom, mother's praying. Boom, someone's praying. You love me. No. God wants a free choice. But let me tell you, when mother prays, when father prays, when your child prays for you, father heaven and a sovereign God that has a wisdom above the devils and a power above the devil knows how to turn a life upside down that they cannot enjoy their sin and I'll be stunned you dying mother praying in faith hanging on 
not giving up will not see your son in heaven I will be staggered I want every single person sitting here tonight that God is speaking to that God has brought you that has loved ones that has family that has relations that has people you groan you pray for and your faith has been staggering and they've worn you out the devil has worn you out and you sit here tonight and through this sermon through these scriptures through these illustrations of lives that loved God and held on you somehow have faith intact you somehow have vision intact again and hope and I want those of you who staggered I want those of you who have loved ones who you've brought to God but they still go on I want you tonight to pray with me for them all those of you that have loved ones who still are out of the fold, who still serve the devil, who still grieve you though you pray. And tonight God has come to your staggering heart, mother, staggering heart, father, staggering heart, young boy, for your brother or sister or your father has gone away with not you. And he said to you, believe and don't give up, don't get go of them, don't. I want those of you who God's spoken to tonight through this and brought back to your mind faith and courage and hope that will not swerve again even if you die praying you're going to die in faith praying I want those of you who have loved ones who need as I lead you in one prayer for all those loved ones represented I want those of you who have such loved ones and tonight you would bring them to God in faith even if your faith is so staggered I want you to stand those of you with such loved ones and I'm going to lead you in a prayer and all I want you to do is say Amen because if two or three of you agree you say Amen that means you agree at the end of this prayer I want you all to say Amen from your soul to God in faith no matter how far your loved one's gone two or three of you agree touching anything anything that's the will of the Father in my name it shall be done it shall be done to them there's more than two or three here and God will not turn away his face and say no I'm not interested he has a holy obligation he cannot deny himself we put God in his holiness and perfectness in obligation because of what that's why faith has to be honored that's not irreverent it would be irreverent not to say that of God and so we look to God with his promises concerning prayer not just praying alone now mother but far more than two or three saying yes God do this to all of us for everyone represented you keep your eyes shut keep your heart low before God and you say amen at the end of this prayer that I'm going to lead you in Father I pray for these people standing oh God thank you that they can still get up stand up in faith for Jesus Christ and Christ's glory because of the promises of our God and faith in our God no matter what the devil's done forgive us Lord forgive us where we've staggered in our faith forgive us where we've faltered forgive us where we've lost hope forgive us where we let go forgive us God where we were perhaps the reasons our children our loved ones have turned away in our failures in our weaknesses in our unchristlike moments in things that the devil has used that we we were the cause of Lord forgive us 
Forgive us, God. Wash us in the blood of Christ from every failure, from unbelief, from unchristlikeness, from anything and any moment that we did that somehow the devil's used. Wash us deeply in the blood of Christ here tonight. Forgive us forever, God. And God, we bring our loved ones unitedly to Thee, each one of us. We lay them in our hearts before Thee at the altar of God in faith. We ask Thee, please, God, save their souls. Save their souls from hell, from eternal damnation. Save their souls from a life of emptiness and sin and worthlessness, a wasted life. God, we pray that Thou wilt do anything we give thee permission it's no good them having comfort and perfect health and perfect circumstances and jobs and sin and go to hell we don't pray for those things we ask thee God please forgive us if we somehow got our priorities mixed up until now we ask thee Lord knowing that thou wilt never do a thing that isn't from a perfect heart of love and wisdom above our wisdom by a billion miles oh God we know thou would never do a thing that is not perfect and not desperately needed in thy perfect understanding of humanity that thou hast created come our God do anything we give thee permission but don't let them go to hell do what is needed to make them let go of sin do what is needed to make them let go of the devil the devil's places the devil's people the devil's food that will never satisfy them Oh God, please make them know it's Thee. Every time that us reach out and strike in life, it will be only out of love, perfect love that's above ours for them. But do it in answer to these prayers. Do anything that will make them know they have to do with God. Know that it is God that's doing it to them out of love. Know that it's because of our prayers. And know that it's because of our love and the light of eternity. Oh God, please, somehow through track, through sermon, through some circumstance, through something, make them be so confronted with God's holy word concerning the blood of Jesus and the deliverance of Christ and the eternal life, the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Help them to find and embrace faith by the revelation given to them through the Holy Ghost, opening their eyes. Help them to hate sin. Make them never enjoy it again, Lord. Help them to hate it, that they will find a despair, not anything that could make them enjoy one moment again Lord thou canst know how to make that happen do it do it God that they will despise the music despise the films despise anything of book music films internet company friends places that they will just be sickened by the emptiness and the folly and the sham of it and just realize this is not where I want to be. God, please undo their love for sin. Undo, rebuke the devil away in the name of Jesus Christ, no matter what hold he's got on them, no matter what they've allowed him to get a hold of in their hearts and understanding the seeds they've allowed to be sown and the fruit thereof. Come, God, set them free. Undo all, all the strongholds of the devil in every one of their lives. We don't even know the strongholds they have. We've just touched the surface of what goes on in their heart. Please, God, thou dost know everything. Undo it by the power of the blood of Christ. By the risen, resurrected power of Christ, rebuke the devil away in the name of Jesus Christ. If there's demons involved, 
which we do not want to believe but if there is God rebukes Satan and his demons away totally by the risen resurrected power of Christ shelter them under the blood moving by the Holy Spirit and through circumstances show them it's God and bring them to a place of salvation by grace through faith in the shed blood of Christ the risen resurrected power of Christ in receiving thee and then soaking themselves in the book of books God we will not let them go help us also Lord every one of us not to live in torment because of their state to not be worn out to not rob us of our joy for the joy of the Lord is our strength and we'll have no strength if we're in morbidity and sorrow and grieving all the time restore unto us the joy of thy salvation in spite of these things flood our hearts with peace as we cast our care on thee for thou dost care for us as we let go of this burden that's crushing us that's aging us and Father in mercy in mercy take that from us though we keep bringing it to thee in faith we keep recommitting to thee and trusting thee as we cry out remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope as we just remind thee Lord of the promises that in that made us pray here tonight in faith Come, O God, come, O God, take this terrible grief away. And though we will keep on bringing to Thee their souls, even if we have to as we lie dying, we will not doubt that God will do something, something that will make man let go of sin and let God have His way. Please, God, do this for every single person represented by every single soul here tonight of their loved ones. Please. Do this, God, so swiftly, if it's possible, right now. Right now, God, so undo them that they begin to seek God wherever they are and hate evil and its places and devices. Please, God, please move and don't cease to move every day now while they fight, just fight on, God. Fight on against the evil that's embraced them into their hearts. Please, God. Please, God, take us now. Keep us under the blood of Christ, full of faith, full of hope, full of courage. And even as our loved ones see us, not looking in them in misery, but without joy, in spite of the grief their sin gives us, we still have God's joy that will attract them, Lord, to come to Thee through us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, we ask these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, unitedly agreeing, unitedly agreeing as one accord of our Father in heaven. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.